join me in thanking our band and our worship team that did such an incredible job this morning. Wow. Awesome. Awesome job. And I, I love that song that they did. You know, who am I going to be when nobody's watching me? What am I going to do to live what I know is true? It, it obviously was an incredible song. Very, very well done. But that also, I think, is an incredible challenge that every single one of us is all too familiar with. We, we all encounter that challenge every single day that we get up and go another day to be who we know God's created us to be, to live what we know is true in our lives day in and day out, to be the same person maybe on Wednesday afternoon as we are on Sunday morning. Because let's be honest, it's easy to walk into church and smile and, you know, most of us are fairly clean and have brushed our teeth recently and, and everything. Hello, brother. Yes, good to see you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. And you, brother. Yes, brethren, so nice to see you. But on Wednesday afternoon, middle of a business deal that's gone south or in the middle of a three-year-old's tantrum that will not end. It is difficult. How many of you know about the three-year-old temper tantrum that will not end? Let me just see a show of hands. Amen. We have support groups. <laughs> but we've all been there, and it's in the throes of those challenges that it becomes really tough to be exactly who God has created us to be. I shared with you just a second ago that Julie and I were recently in Vegas. Vegas is one of my favorite places on the planet, and I'll tell you why. Not because of the stupidity that goes on there a lot of times, but because it's so fascinating. Nobody understands people like Las Vegas, with maybe the exception of Walt Disney. Nobody understands people and how to separate people from their money better than Las Vegas. Have you ever seen, maybe, maybe you've never been to Vegas, but have you ever like watched on TV or maybe kind of cruised by on ESPN. Have you ever seen the championship poker that happens on TV? Have you ever seen those guys? It's fascinating. An incredible study in human nature. And the thing that I love about those professional poker players, those high-stakes poker players, when you see them on TV or maybe even in Vegas, you'll see them every now and then if you're ever around one of those really high-stakes games, is, is the mirrored sunglasses, you know, like Buford T. Justice used to wear in Smoke and Bandit and and the low brim snap back hats, and, and they're working so hard to maintain a focused facade or to, to present the pretense of poise no matter what, no matter what cards they're dealt, no matter what cards they're holding, they work so hard to hide their true emotions, to, to conceal what they're really thinking or feeling because it's a highly charged event. I mean, there's a lot of money on the line. And so you understand why they do that. And there's even a, a term for this facade that they seek to maintain. We, of course, call this poker face, where you hide and conceal your emotions. Well, I realized not long ago that Christians, those people who are called by God, who respond to the initiative of God and deliberately, purposefully follow Jesus. Christians are called to live out a type of poker face. Now, don't send me emails because you don't believe in gambling or anything like that, but follow me on this. If you think about the fact that a Christian is called to live out of an expression of 
the supernatural reality of what God has done for us, of the fact that Jesus Christ is God's son and whoever believes in him will have eternal life and never die. If if you believe that and you're living that out, then you believe that the power of God, the authority of God is so great that there is not any card you could be dealt, no circumstance, no situation that that you could encounter that is beyond the hope, that is beyond the scope of the love and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. That everything that happens in this world, whether you've done it or somebody's done it to you or it just happened, all of it falls under the authority of God. And as such, we're going to live our lives with integrity. We're going to live out of a supernatural, overflowing response to that grace and live lives of integrity, that we're going to live lives of obedience. Now, I know as soon as I say the word obedience, some of you are not digging it. There's something in us. We we think about sending our dogs to obedience school. Some of you thinking right now, my dog could use that. But we're not talking about doggy obedience. What we're talking about is love-driven response-given obedience. What I mean is, it's where you and I understand what God has done for us, and we begin to grasp that, and then in response to that, not not in some kind of misguided effort to earn God's approval or to to demonstrate some kind of moral superiority to those around us, but just out of an overflow response to God's grace, we will live lives obedient to what he says Biblically, that, that there will be this supernatural alignment between what we say and what we do and who God is and what he says. And within that alignment, we have this poker face that we, we just say, you know what? We will do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. We, we will go all in on obedience and love of God and, and let the chips fall where they may after that. Because the fact of the matter is when you choose to live a life of God-honoring, God-aligned integrity, there will be costs. There will be opportunities for you to experience temporary loss in the face of eternal integrity. Now, integrity is a great word, but I think it's important that we understand right off the bat what we're talking about because we're going to be here for the next few weeks as a church. When we, when we talk about integrity, I, I don't want us to limit it just to ethics or being honest or morals or any of that kind of stuff. When we think about integrity, if I could give you like a one-word equivalent of integrity, I, I would say think about when you hear the word integrity, think about the word wholeheartedness. To be wholehearted is to be a person of integrity so that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you are the same. You are wholehearted on Friday as you are on Sunday, on Wednesday morning with the family and only the family as you are when you walk into the office that day, that you're wholehearted at all times. And this sense of wholeheartedness is Pretty obvious when you start to kind of break down the word integrity. We've talked about this before, but the word that gives us integrity is the same word that gives us the word integer or a a whole number, that we're not going to be fractional people. The word that gives us integrated, it it all means 
all in. It all means collected. It all means whole and complete. And this is the life that we were created for. We're created for a wholehearted life, a wholehearted life that aligns itself with the God who gave us that life at the very, very beginning. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 kind of gives us a great intro into this subject of integrity because it shows us exactly what integrity does and what the absence of integrity leads to. Now, as you're looking at Proverbs 11, let me just remind you, of course, that Proverbs is Old Testament. And if you're in the book of Psalms, which is kind of the biggest book in the whole Bible, just take a sharp right and you're at Proverbs. If you get into Isaiah and Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to hook a U-E and go back the other direction. Because Proverbs is kind of right there, just to the right of Psalms. But in Proverbs chapter 11, look at what God says in his word, the Bible, about integrity. And I want you to read this highlighted word with me. Read this out loud because you, here, this is the 11 o'clock service. You've been up for a long time. That 930 crowd, man, they kind of come in a little sleepy and they're, they're trying hard. But, I mean, I want you to kind of, you, you've been caffeinated for a while now. So read this highlighted word with me. You ready? The integrity outstanding of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So the integrity, this wholeheartedness will guide us as we make choices, as we decide who we're going to date. Put a hemplo. For example, as we make choices in business, as we make choices at school, as we make choices in friends, our integrity guides us. But the unfaithful, those with a lack of integrity or a lack of awareness of wholeheartedness, are destroyed by duplicity. Okay, let me ask you a question. And this is, this is private pastoral confidentiality, okay? So you can know that your answer will not leave this room. But raise your hand. How many of you in this room have ever told a lie? Let me just see a show of hands. If your hand's not up right now, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. How many of us whose hands just shot up in complete honesty and transparency know that when you lie, you complicate your life? I mean, it is harder than it ever had to be when you tell a lie. Now, when you tell the truth, there may be some consequences to that. For example, Mac, did you hit your brother? Well, we have a moral dilemma at this point, Mom. <laughs> or at home, Mac, did you eat the last Tiff's Treat chocolate chip cookie? Well, we have a moral dilemma at that point. I could say, I have no recollection of the Tiff's Treat chocolate chip cookie. Or I could say, you know what? It was sitting there and I wanted it. To which somebody in my house named Julie might say, 
honey, you knew I was saving that for my coffee tomorrow morning. And I would say, honey, that's not even healthy. I did you a favor. (laughs) But I've complicated my life if I don't tell the truth. When I shave off part of my heart to shade the truth, then I am living duplicitously. There are two different things going on there, and I have trouble enough when everything's rowing in the right direction. The unfaithful will be destroyed by our duplicity. We We will unravel our own lives in the absence of integrity. Dr. Henry Cloud is a clinical psychologist who also does a lot of consulting with executives and businesses, large and small, Fortune 100, all the way down to small businesses, many times who are going through transitions. And I love Dr. Henry Cloud's definition of integrity. Dr. Cloud says that integrity is the courage to face reality. The courage to face reality. Isn't that a fascinating description? I think it's exactly right. So when you're confronted with that moral dilemma, did you take the last chocolate chip cookie? Have the guts to just own it. I took the last chocolate chip cookie. Yes, ma'am, I did hit my brother because he was bugging me. Yes, I did shade my expense report because... Everybody else was doing it. You see how it destroys and complicates and messes up? Those are just just off the top examples. But integrity, integrity takes real courage. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian philosopher and brilliant, brilliant theologian, C.S. Lewis says that courage is not merely one of the virtues. It is actually every virtue at its testing point. Whatever virtue you might be seeking to live out, when it's tested is when you need courage. If you want to be a person of honesty and truth-telling, when it gets to the testing point, you're going to need courage to live it out. So this idea of wholeheartedness, courage is part of integrity, where we go to God and say, God, give me the courage, give me the heart to be a person of integrity, to to live my life wholeheartedly. Now, you have to be alive for about 45 minutes to know that no one drifts into integrity. We, We don't just wake up one day and go, man, I am so honest, it's scary. I don't know how it happened. We have to make choices about integrity. We get to make choices about integrity and wholehearted living, which tells me we have an enormous amount of control over how wholeheartedly we get to live. We get to decide, I will be a person who will do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may, or I don't really feel like it. And it's at that point that we get to live with the consequences of our choices. So in the time that we've got left, I want to just, I want to mention to you three facets of intentional integrity. Three things to to kind of just table and surface to be aware of as we go through this week. And and maybe as we make a decision to, to make some changes 
Maybe God's bringing to mind some areas where you've kind of shaded the truth or, or cut an ethical corner somewhere, and we've all done that. Don't think that you're by yourself. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear today that you are not crazy and you are not alone. We all have to decide. We all get to decide what we do with integrity. And to get at this, intentional integrity, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 3. Just eight chapters before that verse that we just read in Proverbs 11. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going specifically to verses 5 and 6. But I want you to look at this passage through the lens of integrity, through the lens of choosing that we all have. Look at what the Bible says. And again, the highlighted words when they come up on the screen, read them with me out loud. Check this out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That sounds almost like wholeheartedness, doesn't it? Check this out. And lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, God, and he will make your paths straight. In all your ways, trust in God with all your heart. I've shared this with you before, and I'm going to probably, you'll hear it again. This summer, my bride Julie and I hit 25 years of wedded bliss. 25 years. Thank you for that smattering of applause. I, I kind of say yay God and yay Julie on 25 years. But, but here's the beautiful thing about 25 years. Over 25 years... I know that Julie could or I could, we, we could make some choices and some decisions that would torpedo the whole thing. It, it wouldn't, that, that doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure that out. So you, you have to understand that you all have, we all have choices to make, but I also know after 25 years of living with this woman, of loving her, of being loved by her, that by and large, we've kind of figured out largely where the minefields are. We, we've figured out how to stay away from those danger points and how to stay away from making those kind of choices that are destructive or that create contempt or that create problems when we don't need to create problems. Sometimes we get sideways and, and we're not on the same page and we have to kind of recalibrate. We're human beings. But after 25 years, I have an enormous amount of trust in Julie. I, I believe that when she says something to me, although I may not always like what she's saying, she's saying it to me for my own best interest. I, I believe that she really does love me. I, I assume that her motives are pure and proper because of the track record that I have with her. So when God says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, in all your ways submit to him. It's fascinating to me the number of people who will not submit to God who have never chosen to taste and see that he is good. They've never experienced the blessing and the benefits and the payoff and the peace of trusting God, of choosing him. Because let me just tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, his track record is spotless. Doesn't mean that life gets easy doesn't mean that we don't have problems. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have many problems, but take heart. I have overcome the world, he said. 
So it is in trusting him that we have the power, not in and of ourselves, but in him to overcome any circumstance, any situation, to live wholeheartedly. And that's what this intentional integrity is all about. The, the first facet of intentional integrity is when we discover and when we choose to tolerate only the truth. Tolerate truth only. That means that we adopt, we appropriate a zero tolerance for any dishonesty out of our lives or in our lives. And that is different. That, that, that takes conscious choosing and deciding. That, that means that we don't, listen, as, as parents, how many of us have had our kids kind of kind of play word games with us and shade the truth, and then when they're confronted with, well, Dad, I didn't lie. Yeah, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Am I, man, y'all must be better parents than I am because we dealt with that frequently. But we established early on with Emily and Joseph, let me tell you what Mommy and Daddy are not going to do. We are not going to play mind games with you, pumpkin. We love you, and if you lead us to believe something, that's on you. Hoss. So we, we decided we were not going to play these games like, well, it depends on what your definition of is, is. <laughs> now, don't even, that's not a political statement. <laughs> it's not. Listen, anybody can play those games. But really, we're going to get into the definition of is? I ain't playing that. We're going to tolerate only the truth. A teacher convened a parent-teacher conference one day because the parent's son had been caught stealing stuff from the school supply closet. And she knew that this was going to be an emotionally charged conversation, and she gathered the parents, and she said, listen, I want you to know that I, I so believe in your son, and he, he's a very good student, but we have had a little bit of an issue because he's been stealing things out of the supply closet. And the father was indignant he, he kind of bowed up. He's like, that is not my son. He is not a thief. And the teacher kind of saw this coming. She knew. She kept her cool. She said, listen, I don't believe he's a thief either, but she presented the evidence. She said, clearly, he took some things, and the rules were clearly laid out. The other kids, you know, knew what they were and were able to not take things. So I just need you to know. And, and finally, the dad was so exasperated by the whole situation, and he just kind of blurted out. He goes, that didn't even make sense. He knows I can get him whatever he needs at the office. <laughs> what our kids pick up and incorporate internally in terms of integrity is much more caught than taught. We have to tolerate truth only. And I've noticed something that actually leads into the second facet of intentional integrity, and it's this, that we only deceive people, we only lie or mislead people with whom there's a disconnect or we've discounted. What I mean by that is this, we only mislead people that we're not really connected to. Like with Julie, I go out of my way to have no secrets, to be completely transparent. Or 
we, we mislead people that we've decided are discounted and their value is somehow less than our desires and what we want out of a given situation or in a given moment. And so that points us towards the second aspect of wholehearted intentional integrity, and that is that we make connections genuinely. We really and truly connect with other people genuinely. And as we go through this list of intentional integrity, I want you to look for, I want, you to, I want us to train ourselves to, to find the power of God and the supernatural of the gospel in the natural and the ordinary. What I mean by that is, if you think about tolerating truth only, think about what Jesus said when he said, don't swear by heaven or by earth and try to impress people. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just, that's, that's, and he said, that's, that's the essence of just being a person of integrity. Whatever you say, back it up. Jesus said that. Herm Edwards, the, the coach in the NFL who's now on ESPN, he used to tell his players, sign your name to it. You do something, you say something, sign your name to it. But when it comes to connecting with people genuinely, it, it means that we begin to Consider no one from an earthly point of view, but only now we consider people as Jesus considers people. And so, because Jesus loves everybody unconditionally, as is right now, we make connections with those people. And those connections vary in degree of intimacy, obviously. But they're always genuine. They're always real. So, I'm the same person preaching on Sunday morning as I am hanging out with the family throughout the week. I have bad days and good days like everybody else, but I'm not a different guy up here than I am with the family. Now, there's a word that is, is really, really popular right now called transparency. Transparency in government, transparency in business. Transpar and, and, and I get it, but be careful with transparency because not every relationship is built for the weight of transparency. What I mean by that is with Julie in particular, I am completely transparent. No secrets, nothing hidden. She has complete, complete carte blanche in my life and every part of it because I need that. I want that accountability. But with other people, like Emily and Joseph, our, our kids, they, they know me good, bad, and ugly. They, they see me day in and day out. They know if there's a disconnect between Sunday morning or any other part of the week, and so they get it. But there are parts of my relationship with Julie they don't know anything about. This is, this is primary right here. This is husband and wife. Till death do you part. These two, they, they just showed up. So, so there's, <laughs> there's genuineness but there's not complete transparency with them. As a matter of fact, we've told them there are things we're not going to tell you. Deal with it. They're, they're, so we're genuine with everyone, integrity, but we're transparent with a precious few. We, we're very prayed up and wise about who we're transparent with and who we share our dreams with, who we confess with, who we pray with. Those things have to be very, very careful. You don't walk into the men's Bible study the first time you ever go in and go, hey, need y'all to know something before we get started. My mom put my diapers on too tight and my dad never hugged me enough. I just need to kind of get that out on the table. Don't do that. 
That relationship is not yet ready for that level of intimacy. You need a counselor. That's not funny. That's real world, Jack, Jackie. So we have to be wise as we make these genuine connections. But these genuine connections also point us to the third facet of intentional integrity. Because it is impossible to engage genuinely and certainly transparently without pursuing progress expectantly. Pursuing progress expectantly. I'll go back to my relationship with Julie. You know what the reality is? She loves me unconditionally, beautifully. She loves the Lord more, but she loves me unconditionally. And because she loves me, she expects me to get better. She expects me to be less selfish today than I was the day we got married. She expects me to be more understanding, more insightful, more perceptive, more everything, hopefully and prayerfully, than the day we got married. And that always happens in relationship, in the context of these connections. So we pursue progress expectantly, which again brings us to the gospel, the power of Jesus. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. Whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. But you haven't arrived yet. The Apostle Paul said, I do not consider myself yet to have laid hold of it. But this one thing I do, I keep moving forward, striving for the prize in Christ Jesus. There's always more to be discovered. There's always more of God to be learned, more of God to be loved, more of God to be worshipped. And so we pursue that progress expectantly. Like when we come to church, we walk in the door expectantly. We walk in the door expecting God to show up. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means when you and I sing, remember it doesn't say make a beautiful noise, it just says make a joyful noise to the Lord. So when we sing and lift up the name of Jesus and we worship and we love God musically, the Bible says God is in the house. He inhabits the praises. In the original Hebrew, when God's people worship, God is in the hizzy. This is what the scriptures tell us. You'll get, some of y'all will get that later at home and you have to ask your kids. But the fact is, we expect it. And because we enter expectantly, we enter on time. We walk in the door knowing God's going to do something. We expect him to do something, not because we deserve it or he owes it to us, but because of who he is. And so we come wholeheartedly to worship. We come, and if we're bringing kids, we make sure that they get into their areas on time and they can kind of get settled so that they discover what it feels like, what it looks like to be a part of the family of faith, that genuine connection. The church is God's gift in a disconnected world. We have the opportunity to connect with God and with each other because of God in the name of Jesus. And so this matters. And so when you see parents, man, it's so encouraging when you see parents encouraging their kids and prioritizing their family so that, that connecting genuinely within the body of the family of faith 
is more important than whether or not they can make a pyramid at a cheer camp or they can learn better ball handling skills like the pastor used to have. (laughs) But they're teaching their kids to love God, to love his house, and to love his ways, and to live wholeheartedly. And to pursue that progress expectantly. Because this is who God is and this is what he does. He calls us. He's created us to live wholeheartedly with everything that we've got. Yes, our kids can do extracurricular. Absolutely. They want to play football. Great. They want to cheer. Awesome. They want to play chess, sing in the choir, work on the tech team, whatever. That's awesome. But ain't none of it going to carry them the rest of their lives like a relationship with Christ in the family of faith. And so as parents, we take on that responsibility to teach them and to show them because what they pick up from us in terms of wholeheartedness is much more caught than taught. And they see it and they feel it and they live it. I want to end by asking you a question. And, and don't answer this question out loud. Matter of fact, don't even write it down. And you'll understand when I ask it that it's obviously rhetorical, but I'm serious. Are you God? Are you God? Now, hopefully, all of us, our knee-jerk reaction would, no. And if, if your answer was yes, we, we, we pray for your family. But <laughs> most of us, all healthy people would say, I'm not God. But the fact is, we all have this innate, inherent drive to function as a God, little g. We all have this predisposition to to control our own course, to determine our own destiny. This is this predisposition to self-protection, self-promotion that we've all got. I've got it, you've got it, all God's chilling, got it. But remember, God created everything. There's nothing in this world that wasn't created or created by something or someone that he created. And because he is the creator, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that means that he gets to determine what's real. He gets to say This is real. This is true. And as such, Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he is the truth, that he is the way, and that he is the life. So he is that way. Jesus determines what's true and what's real. I don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide that. Jesus does. That's why he's given us scripture. Again, we don't go to the Bible out of a habit. We go to the Bible because it's reliable, because it is God's version of what's real and what's true and what's right and what works. And so we have the opportunity to live out of that a wholehearted life rooted in reality. Rooted in the reality that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and he loves you by name. And he's called you into a relationship 
that empowers every single facet of life. And so if you're here today and you know that and you're chasing that, man, I want to encourage you and I want to, I want to challenge you to make sure that that alignment in every part of your life is, is working, that is, that is lining up. If there's some area of your life that you're kind of keeping hidden, if there's an area or a, maybe a corner of your life that's kind of off limits to somebody or somebody that needs to know what's going on, and bring it into the light. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Be wise, be smart, and be God-filled about who you share that with. But it's part of wholeheartedness, bringing it into the light and living it out. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, you've never tasted and seen that God is good, why not now? Why not not right here in this service just, just begin that relationship? Begin to live out of your whole heart, not holding anything back. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask everybody, if you will, just pray. If you have stepped into a relationship with Christ, then you pray for your alignment, for your wholeheartedness, and the courage to do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, you never submitted every part of your life to Christ. We want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To pray just right where you're sitting. Just just talk to God. Just silently, right where you are, just pray and just say, Jesus, I need you. I want to live wholeheartedly in reality, in truth, in connectedness, growing and in progress. And so I give you my life. I confess my sin. And Jesus, I claim your forgiveness. With everything that I have. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Because it's a sacred moment. And if that was your prayer and you meant it, then we want to do anything that we can to help. We want to come alongside help you as you take the next step in this new relationship with God. And so a couple of things, if you just pray that prayer, I want to just speak to you briefly, but very, very sincerely and directly. If that was your prayer, two things we want to just put on the table. Number one, don't hide it. Let us know how we can help. Let us know that that happened. Just take the the Connect card that's in your program. Fill it out there where it says name and contact, and then indicate there, I'm committing my life to Christ. And before you leave today, just 
tear that connect card off at the perforation. It's right there on the spine. Just tear it off and hand it to one of our ushers or one of the folks who are at the blue awning out underneath the big front porch that you walked in when you came in. And just briefly, just hand it to them and say, hey, today was my day. So that as a church, we can help. And then second, I want to make sure that you understand this is a once and for all prayer. You don't have to pray that prayer again. Now begins the process of living in that relationship, of growing in that relationship. And again, as a church, we want to help. We're, we're a family of faith. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we want to help. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer, I want to ask you just to raise your hand up high over your head for just a moment. And as you hold your hand up, I want you to know that what you're doing is stamping this moment, stamping it in your heart to know that it's real, that it happened. But you're also stamping it in the life of this church. Because for us, there's nothing more important than that moment in your life and others like it. And so we honor that. We celebrate that with you. And our family tradition is, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home.